Hello and welcome back to the Two Beers Please podcast. We are excited to have you back midweek and uh, lots of action going on at the end of this week as well as at the beginning of this week. So once again, we are in a sports explosion that this coronavirus outbreak has given us, you know, so that's something positive, I suppose. Well, as per usual, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, we are at the number two BP underscore podcast. On Instagram, we are at two beers, please underscore podcast. So that's where you can find us there. You can also find our podcast at Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. If you're looking at us through Apple Podcasts, leave a review. That helps us get some exposure and helps other people find us. So that will help. And we ask you to do that. And don't forget about our September initiative for every listen that our September episodes get. We will be donating $1 towards a Black Lives Matter charity to be decided later. Right now, I believe we're up to $120. That's really great from you guys. And we're really excited. We've got a couple more episodes coming in the month of September here. So help us out and listen to some sports. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, different topics than our episode that was released today. Uh, We've got top soccer leaves everywhere being back in action. Got another Grand Slam opportunity arrives for Serena Williams, one that she might in fact be able to win this time, and a weekend UFC lineup that is headlined by an absolute battle of blood. But first, we've got a review that I want to give uh, give us, you know, on this podcast. We've got a review that I want to show everybody. Uh, really nice guy uh, coming out of coming out of uh, some weird spaces, but he's a really cool guy, and I'm just going to let him take the floor. How you doing, buddy? Hello, nice to see everybody. I just wanted to pop in and say that the Two Beers Please podcast is a must-listen for everyone. Lovely friends who always allow us to sit next to them at the busy bar of life as they discuss all things sports, pop culture, alcohol content, and even the occasional history lesson. Greetings to Yannick and Matt from space, I I mean, Hawaii, Ohana, and goodbye. Thank you very much. That's very sweet of you. Um, you really, uh, you know, he's a he's a really nice friend. Uh, he kind of, you know, fr- he freaks me out a little bit. He's got all those arms and the. You would get along with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we get along. We get along. Uh, makes, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, quite frankly. Right. It's, exactly. Like uh, we get along. He just, I, I, I don't want to give. I never like drinking too much around him uh, because he gets kind of crazy and like murdery. So. That is something that you watch out for. But thank you so much to our anonymous reviewer friend. All right, Matt, how are we doing? How are we feeling today? It is a beautiful Wednesday in New York. It is a beautiful Wednesday. It's hot. It's, yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's not like hot. I'm not going to get into a weather discussion. That's like, that's when I'm 50 years old for that podcast. But I'm doing well. Obviously, you know, even as a Packers fan, very saddened by the news. The passing of Gail Sayers, one of the all-time great. Kansas Jayhawks, Chicago Bears, and just players in the NFL. Career that was cut far too short with injuries. Uh, played for the Bears from 65 to 71, where he was a five-time Pro Bowler, or sorry, pardon me, four-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro. He was a first-team All-Pro in 1968 when he missed the last five games. He didn't even play three-fourths of the season and was still All-Pro. Rookie of the year, just an incredible player. Culture, of course, known. For Brian's song, the story of he and Brian Piccolo's relationship while Piccolo was dealing with cancer. The great Billy D. Williams and James Kahn playing those two parts in that movie. 
Um, I think the movie probably most associated with making grown men cry. And now Greeny, I saw Greeny earlier stole it, but I was going to be like, nah, it'd be a good time for us to have our on tap of, of best sports movies because Brian's song certainly gets brought up in that discussion. But we wish our best to the Sayers family. Very sorry to hear about Gail's passing. Otherwise, oh, I'm doing well, Jan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and you're absolutely right. We will have an on-tap episode soon of Greatest Sports Movies. We've been waiting for that one anyway, so will be a good one to do coming up. Yeah, I'm doing well. It is hotter than expected. It's just been chilly a couple days in a row here, uh, which is great, though. I'm going to go on a run after we record here, so that'll be nice. And uh, yeah, but yeah, no, having a great day, kind of a lazy day. I'm I'm off of mine. 9 to 5 barista job so i am just hanging out as much as possible you know getting all the sports i can while i have the day to do that in you know listening to everybody debate everything that we talk about here so it's going really well and i've also got nice company with me as per usual so that never hurts let us go to the beer garden that's right the beer garden ah yeah matt what are we yeah. doing today? <laughs> I got a little flower power from Ithaca Beer Company up there in the flower Lake. power. Yeah, I'm on a bit of an IPA streak, I've realized. But this one's got like some mild funk to it, you know, more subtle hoppiness. I always feel like when I talk about IPAs, I always just talk about the hoppiness to it. But that's kind of a crucial factor in an IPA. They can kind of dictate how it goes. But I love how, I mean, one of the things I love about being back in New York is I can just go to the bodegas and just take like a single beer. Like you don't have to buy a six pack or even like make a sit like you can just take one. So whenever I need one for two beers, please, I just walk to the bodega and I'm just like, I'm just going to take one and then I can try new ones. So I got flower power. What are you sipping on, my friend? Oh, I'm I'm going with, you know, just another bit Bitburger Pilsner. I forgot how much I like these and I had them last episode, but I just I've been drinking it ever since. It's it's becoming a problem, but a good problem to have, truthfully. And let me try to get this for you guys here. Oh, yeah. There you go. That sweet mm. sound. Mm-mm-mm. And I just want to read you. It is a great sound. It tastes as good as it sounds. And I just want to kind of talk to you about a little history. With, <laughs> that is a uh, terrifying sentence. I'm sorry. It what it tastes it as good tastes as it sounds. As good as it sounds. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, didn't think about that one before. Yeah. I Onto the history lesson about. Onto the history lesson. Um, Bitburger Pilsner. Just so you know, they have very specially selected ingredients to ensure consistent quality, and this is because in 1516, Bavarian Duke Wilhelm IV issued a German beer purity law, right, and it basically said. It was basically done to ensure quality in brewing and to prevent dangerous experimentation. And this law has kind of been one of the longest running laws in in European history. It's one of the oldest surviving laws is what I mean, related to food and drink. And it's the foundation of the Bitburger Brewery Company. And that's why they have such good beer dating back to so long. So thank you to Duke Wilhelm, although I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of Dukes that I don't want to say thank you to in German history. So I'm, I'm going to like be careful with that one. But it's a law that they've upheld, and that's why German beer is just so dosh darn good. Yannick, do you know the, the history of like the Gose, Gose beer? I don't know the history of the Gose beer. Enlighten us. So since it so since it since they had those laws, like you had to follow like everything very specifically, 
um, where they were at, just like regionally in Germany, they only had um, the accessibility to salt water. So like they had to use salt water with making their beer. So it got off more of a kind of close to like a sour sort of flavor. Um, but they were the only ones in Germany allowed to do it because they were like, yeah, you can do it because that's all you have. So that was how the Gose beer came into effect because of those rules and, and their necessity to have to use salt water. Wow. Thank you, Matt. That's actually really good to know. I did not know that. We'll get a Gose beer in here sometime soon. They're good. About it. They sound, I have never had one, but they've. I've, I've heard nothing but good. Also, a new thing that we are starting to do starting next episode, we will be taking a running tally of the beers that we drink on the Two Beers Please podcast and letting you guys know just how much alcohol we've consumed in these recordings. So nice. You can, so you can, you know, join us along and we'll, we're going to, uh, you know, just let you guys know just how much trouble we are in with this podcast. Anyway, question of That seems of the like day. a real easy way of us like, um, so you need to go to AA and here is literally factual evidence that you've marked down that I have to use against you that you're drinking too much. Yeah. Right. I, I am a, I am a little bit worried, but only a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, the thing no. is, I, yeah not truly too too worried. It's like a beer. That day. one guy can eat McDonald's for a month. We're fine. Right, exactly. And I'm and you know what? I'm not doing any of the I'm not doing any of the hard stuff. I'm drinking a beer. Like the most I'm worried about is like I should work out a little more so I don't gain a, gain a gut. That's about it. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> more than anything else. That's All a, right. That's a, that's a slippery slope. That is a slippery, slippery slope, and it's hard to get out of. Uh, we are watching together the Arsenal Leicester game. Uh, we're both watching the same game. It is in the Carabao Cup. It is exciting. Glad to be watching it right now. An interesting matchup this early on in the tournament. So we'll be updating you if anything happens there. And once again, can we believe that that old dinosaur is in the back of the Leicester defense? Wes Morgan, I mean, my God, he's still there. I, I, I'm I, still... He's going to play forever. forever. He's going to play forever. Is this an Arsenal goal? Is it a penalty? It looks like something. No, nothing. Nothing, nothing. Well, that was very interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. question of the day for you, Matthew. The NFC South was touted as this powerhouse division. You had Matt Ryan and the high-flying offense of the Atlanta Falcons. You had Tom Brady taking over an absolutely, absolutely loaded Buccaneers team. You have, uh, you have Drew Brees and the Saints and Michael Thomas and all of his receptions and Alvin Kamara. He is playing. And then you, your worst team was supposed to be the Carolina Panthers, who have good receivers, Christian McCaffrey and Teddy Bridgewater. But after two games, we know that this NFC South is anything but the powerhouse we expected it to be. The Saints lead at 1-1 one and one after a really just ugly man- Monday night football loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, followed by the Bucs, who are also 1-1 one and one behind a less-than-stellar Tom Brady, who's looking his age more and more. And then we have two 0-2 teams in Atlanta, who's given up ridiculously, you know, big leads in this in the second game and you know had to had the shootout with Seattle where they also gave in a lot of points and the Panthers who just look bad on defense and now have lost Christian McCaffrey for at least a month it looks like. I mean, who's going to win this division and will that team have double digit wins? It's uh certainly not the question we expected to to be asking about the NFC South this year when we you know, we came in you're like you got Drew Brees, you got Tom Brady, you got Matt Ryan. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is is the worst quarterback in that group, and Teddy Bridgewater is a pretty darn good quarterback. I mean, the guy's got a 647 winning percentage in his career, so 
He's no slouch by any means. And the four starting quarterbacks, this is from Sports Illustrated, the four starting quarterbacks combined have a winning percentage of 658. So, you know, I think we all thought this was going to be what kind of the NFC West is looking like, where you're like, could most of these teams compete? Of course, we never really expected much from the Panthers, and I don't think they'll do really anything. You lose the most explosive player in the league. I love Bridgewater, but that defense is just leaves a lot of wanting. Um, not a lot of skill on there. Not a lot of guys that, that can make a big impact. I think they're gonna. He- I think they're heading in the right way. Like I really, like I said, I like Bridgewater, and they'll probably get a, a top pick. I think Matt Rule is a great coach. So in a few years, maybe the Panthers start in, entering this discussion. But even as weak as as the division's looking, I don't think it's quite that weak where the Panthers really pose a challenge to it. Um, the other three, I don't, you know, the Buccaneers, I don't think, you know, we have to worry so much. Like, I don't think this is a bad division by any means. I think it's just not looking quite exactly what we thought it was going to be like. I think the Buccaneers are going to get better. The Saints are going to get better. You're going to get Michael Thomas back. When they run the ball, they do really well. Like, I mean, hand off the ball to Alvin Kamara. Don't. I get Drew Brees has done a lot. I get Tom Brady has done a lot. But both these offenses right now, are in the same vein of what you know we were talking about with Jared Goff and, and Baker Mayfield. They're asking their quarterbacks to do stuff that they can't really do or not do as well as they could previously in their career. So they just need to ask Breeze and Brady to do what they should be doing, and I think both those teams will be fine. I think both those teams are going to be in the playoff race and have a very good good chance of winning the division and still making noise in the playoffs. Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta's is off to a, a tough start. Of course, they're giving up 39 points per game after two games. But they also played Seattle, which has, you know, our favorite for the MVP and Russell Wilson through two games. The guy's been extremely explosive. And we know how, how much Russell Wilson can just go off on a team. So he played there. He played they, – they played Russell Wilson. And then they got the Cowboys team in a shootout because their offense is going off, which, I mean, we all expected the Cowboys team to have – one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL with Dak and Amari Cooper, the addition of CeeDee Lamb, another year from Michael Gallup, Zeke Elliott. So it's not like the Falcons are playing teams that aren't offensively good. Yeah, the defense isn't great, and the defense is probably going to be an Achilles heel all year. But, you know, they they are giving up big points to good teams. Jan, we talked about this before, and and you set me up perfectly for for it. I'm I'm gonna go with the Falcons to win the division. I think I think they've been unlucky. They're so close to being one and one. I think this division, there's they're just there's they're gonna they're, they have enough time to come back. They have to win this weekend against Chicago. I mean, if they lose to Chicago and drop to and three, it's done. But I don't think Chicago is the most daunting two and zero team. the The other thing that does worry me is is the Falcons are twelve and thirteen at home since they opened Mercedes-Benz Stadium, including the season opening loss to Seattle. So not really defending home turf well. But I think, you know, Calvin Ridley's come through. I think Gurley's going to get better in their offense. Matt Ryan's been one of the best quarterbacks. And they will finish 10-6. and six. So 10-6, and six, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Buccaneers, I think are both sitting closer to a little 9-7. and seven. I like that. Yeah, I mean, the Falcons... I mean, right now, and it's hard, right? This is where I make my one of my favorite takes, which is we won't know until we know. Um, but the Falcons look like the only, the offense that I trust in that. Whatever division. happens, happens. Whatever happens, happens. But uh, I, I'm going to – here's the thing. I think I'm still going to stick with the Saints to win it only because 
I think Sean Payton's smart enough where he's going to realize Drew Brees is not going to be the one that we we're not going to win because Drew Brees is throwing. Like that's just not the truth. We're not going to win because of Drew Brees' arm. He's a great quarterback, but he's you know he's lost a step a little bit. We have Alvin Kamara, we have great receivers, but he needs Michael Thomas. He needs Jared Cook there. He needs his receivers. So. They just need to kind of change the game plan a little bit so he's not throwing as much because we saw Monday night, if he's got to throw his way out of something, it's not going to end well, you know, because he just still doesn't have the accuracy that we've, we've you know, come to know Drew Brees for. Um, the Falcons' offense is so great, and, like, if they can get their defense short up even a little bit, they, they have a chance to do something good in that division. And, I mean, outside of the Packers game that comes next week, they play the Panthers twice and then the Lions and the Vikings. So that's that should be four wins for them, especially with how the Vikings have been playing. So yeah, schedule it, gets a lot know, easier. Yeah, schedule gets a lot easier. You're right. It's, it started out brutal, just like for the Texans, we've we questioned them. And it's also you when you have Chief Raven Steelers, like what what more can you say? Right. It's yeah. like that's that's <laughs> That's hard so, to know, make, like three in that slate is like there's not any team I think that you'd be like, well, they suck because they went 0 and three against those guys. They're not right. even on three yet. I mean, they could very well they could beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, they could beat Pittsburgh, but you're going against two of to the two, arguably the two greatest quarterbacks in the league right now and the top defense in the league. That's like the worst thing you could start with. So it's hard to make decisions. Obviously, week two, everything we say is kind of a hot take because it's early. But you're going with the Falcons. Yeah. I'm going with All the these Saints. takes are so are so or like every time I take one, I'm like, it's so early to make that claim. Like they're they're two games in and on a year where I think I think teams and just the league, the makeup is gonna is gonna change a lot week by week because of the short and off season, because of the because of the no preseason. Um I was reading a thing on Sports Illustrated by Barnwell. I can't remember the exact word for word for the article, but it was it's about the injuries, and, and something in the the article title said something about twenty one player, like the most impactful twenty one injuries. And I it, I was shell shocked by that because like not like here's the twenty one injuries from this weekend that you know impacted the NFL. No, it was the most impactful twenty one. That's how many injuries there were that we had to to divide out which ones were going to be the most impactful. So we'll see if that keeps having an impact on the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fun to make all these claims, but in three weeks, everything could look completely different. Right. Exactly. But if we weren't here to make hot takes, we'd be out of a job. Exactly. We're still going to keep doing it. We're still going to keep doing it. If Ryan Clark can get on TV and make a take that the Vikings are going to win the division and be this wrong about it, then like, I'm okay with making the take that the Falcons are going to win. You know, I'm still going with the Saints just barely. Because I trust Sean Payton, and I trust that he can maybe turn it around. If he keeps putting the ball in Drew Brees' hands like he has been, though, it's not good. The schedule doesn't get easier for them, and like they won't make the playoffs. Then there's just too many good teams in the you NFC. Called that Vegas game. I called that Vegas game. I told you in game one, it was more about Tom Brady not being in sync with all his offense and the Saints' defense picking up on it, and less about Drew Brees being so good on his side of the ball. Like, yeah, he he made some throws. Alvin Kamara was good, but I had some worries. It didn't look as as tight as it. I mean, he missed so many passes in that Monday night game. I I didn't I didn't expect. I thought they were going to be beaten because the Raiders are better than we think they are. Obviously, with Josh Jacobs, with Derek Carr 
being under like underappreciated, not necessarily underrated, but underappreciated and having Darren Waller out there as a great tight end option and Henry Ruggs. Obviously, I you know, that's something that is a part of it, but I didn't expect the Saints offense to play that bad. I mean, and it was all Drew Brees. It wasn't the players that were playing badly. Yeah. He was missing passes, wide right. open passes. It was really sad to watch. I mean, it was like watching a quarterback who's past his prime. Hopefully they just, you know, take a little of the pressure off of him. You know, out of out of the, out of the older quarterback. I mean, this is just honesty, right? At Matt, out of the older quarterbacks, you know him, you know Brady, Rivers, Roethlisberger, a little younger, obviously. But I mean, he's going to be the one that retires first. I don't think there's a question about that. Like he's going to be the next one to retire out of those four. And so, you know, this season might be it. For I mean, he him. said he was and close they to retiring. To this, put him in the best position offseason. to win because. Sorry. He said he was considering retirement this offseason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he said he was considering it already this offseason. And so, you know, it's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. And the only reason I think he's stuck in here longer than he could have is because he feels cheated in the Saints playoff losses. He feels like he feels slighted and he feels like this team still got juice and he's going to make it happen. Do you think, I mean, I think for sure if they would have won one Super Bowl, I think, I think he's already gone. Do you think if they would have at least made one of those Super Bowls that they were really close to making or just one of those years that like, cause even last year, I guess they weren't close, but I think they were thinking we could make a run and then the Vikings upset them. Do you think if he would have just at least made one more with the saints, do you think he'd be retired right now? Yeah, because here's the thing. Either you win the Super Bowl or lose the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. That's nothing to be ashamed of. So like, that's an easy Super Bowl to retire after you tried your best against arguably the most I mean the most accomplished quarterback in in history so that's fair or you lose against the up-and-coming best quarterback of all time Patrick Mahomes also a fair game to lose you know it's not like they would have played some team that they should have beaten and then would have lost to and then he would have stayed right like it's yeah. all yeah it, it, I, it's I, all, I definitely agree like I think he would I think he would have had I mean, more more of a sense of like completed completed goals if they had at least made it one more and, and had I think he'd be more comfortable being like, yeah, I'll, I'll step away now. But right. Exactly. That, that quarterback but decline, it happens quick. I mean, I, it does. I know, I know that Peyton Manning bell is rung ever. So, I mean, all the time, but he, he went from, you know, breaking records in that Denver offense to not being able to complete anything because it just hap- can happen so quickly like that. Right. But we know, like the Saints defense is not at all what the Broncos defense was when Peyton won, but that's how they won. They realized we're yeah. not going to win because of Peyton Manning. We're going to win with Peyton Manning. So let's stop making. I think you know, the Saints defense is better too than their performance on Monday. I mean, I think the, Ra- I I think the Raiders. Yeah. Played. I think the Raiders had a really good game plan. I think those guys. I think you know. I was interested to see what they like, how it would come out opening up the stadium similar to the Rams with no fans. And I think the Raiders played even, I think they were even more like, we got to come out and do that. Like our fans can't be here. We got to absolutely show out. So I think the Raiders were playing, that might be the Raiders best game of the year. I mean, yeah, it definitely might be. People are calling them sleepers. I have to see a couple more games. We'll see how they play against the Patriots this weekend before I start calling them that. But Yeah, I, I definitely think you got to start looking at that Broncos team as a game. I think that's a perfect point to bring up. It's it's a blueprint for you, right? You have a decent defense. You have the skill players around you. It's not like a Tom Brady in New England situation where he's got to make all the plays, right? So <clears throat> just use those skill players and 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 make him 
you know, turn him into check down Charlie and then do the play action when he needs to, honestly. Like, yeah. you know, there's just nothing well, and, that... Like, at the end of the day, it's two games, they're one-on-one, and they are missing, at least right now, missing, if not the best receiver, the most impactful receiver on an offense. I mean, he, he there's not an offense that relies on another receiver more than the Saints have relied on Michael Thomas the last couple of years. So right. it's just like his value to what that offense does is is massive so he's gonna come back the saints team i think is is gonna is gonna be fine i don't mean i don't think they're gonna be having a losing record by any means but they certainly so far don't look like the the big super bowl contender that we thought they would right that's that's the biggest thing i take away number one it's gonna it's kind of interesting the one hit people were having on michael thomas you know he was saying you know look how many catches look how many catches and people were saying yeah but those catches were all you know short catches it's kind of like that might be exactly what Drew Brees needs is that short yeah. catch guy. So Who like cares? that's that's actually perfect for him. So that'll be really good if he can it come back, be. you know, 100% healthy. But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that like it's not over for the Saints, but we definitely don't view them as the contenders that you know we were before the season started. But like you said, I mean without the preseason, all these games, I mean coaches are even saying it's like the first three games are going to be like freaking preseason games. Like hopefully we win, but like yeah. we just want to see where we can go from here and it'll be interesting, you know, cuz you're right. Game I mean week 5 we're going to see teams that are doing well do poorly and we're going to see teams that are do poorly pick it up and it's going to be interesting to see who can do what there. Lots of exciting things to come. It's only week 3. We got so much to happen still. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I can't even imagine. But let's move think, to another I think just like I think just like the <sighs> We've had so many sports canceled or delayed or whatever. And there was like, you know, there was that uncertainty about football that I think like the fact that it's just like it started so far, basically without too much of a hitch. Um, I mean, lots of injuries, which I hope get better. But um, I just like the fact that it has started. Things are going well. Like I, I, I'm very grateful. For, like I feel like I'm enjoying it more than I normally do, like two weeks into an NFL season. Yeah, it is crazy, right? Like, it's only week two, and there's nothing really to talk about, you know, except a bunch of storylines. But I'm so excited for every NFL game, and yet I'm like, oh, wait, but the Stanley Cup finals are happening. Like, oh, wait, but the NBA conference finals are happening. Like, it does seem weird that I'm as excited about the NFL as I am those things. But, hey, I'm not complaining. I'm all all here for it. So we, we have nothing to complain about. I can juggle. I can juggle. I can, I can multitask. I can multitask. It'll be fine. Well, Matt, let's move on. Let's move on to soccer because we had a lot of soccer coming back this yeah. week. Why, why, don't you, why don't you tell me, uh, you know, Manchester United not having the best start, and uh, you can talk about that. But give me give me the lowdown on, on some of the leagues here. That's a, that's a really, really nice way to, to say that, Yannick. Not having, not having the best start. Yeah, that, that is, is spot on. Way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, let's talk the other the other football uh, starting over there on the continent. We'll start in, in uh, England at the ear premier in the English Premier League. Pardon me. Obviously, very early in the camp campaign, but European soccer leagues back in action. It's like feels a little shocking that soccer is already back. It feels like we were just finishing up like all of these seasons, let alone crowning the champions of Europe. But here we are. And who are uh, the and champions it, of Europe? That um, it's Sevilla. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm more of a Europa League guy. You meant champions. That's Bayern. That one's Bayern. What a, what a bad thing to say about your, se- your yeah. personality that you're more of a Europa League guy. <laughs> yeah, that would be a horrible. Like, 
I love the NIT and the Europa League. Um, AAA baseball. Mm, yeah, and give me give me that NASL. Yeah, I don't want JUCO. Actually, I like the Division Division One. I guess now it's what FCS. That's the one that has the tournament instead of the bowls. I do like that. Yeah, FCS is bowls stuck. But yeah, yeah, English Premier League here. Most of the teams so far have played two games with five of those squads going 2-0. That includes the defending champions, Liverpool. They opened with that explosive 4-3 win over Leeds, uh, but had a little more of a convincing victory in, in game number two. Went to Stamford Bridge and got a 2-0 victory over Chelsea. Thiago went out there for Liverpool. And although it was against 10 men, uh, Andreas Christensen getting a red card for Chelsea, Thiago looked very, very strong uh, for Liverpool. He was passing the ball all over the pitch for them, had more passes and limited time than anyone else on Chelsea, um, doing exactly what they bought him for and and for him to do. And I think he he gives them a, a new dynamic that they didn't have even when they were champions of Europe. So Liverpool looked tough. Uh, Timo Werner, I – I don't know exactly all your thoughts on on him, Jan. I, I'll, I'll get them because I'm interested on it. I was particularly unimpressed. He did not look at like it felt like there were times on in that game where he could not care less that he was out there. He, he'd rather be almost anywhere else. I thought Kai Havertz did well though, as far as the German young guys debuting for Chelsea or not debuting, but they're perhaps their first big game in the Chelsea Blue. Um, but yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on, on the two young Germans for, for the London side? I love Kai Havertz. You know, I think he's still trying to figure out what kind of player he is. Uh, because sometimes yeah. you're like, is he an offensive midfielder? Is he like a pure striker? Is like, what is he doing? And I think teams don't really know where to play him. Leverkusen was just like, play somewhere, we'll give you the ball. So I think Chelsea's, it's going to be interesting right. what Lampard does for him there. You know, I kind of see him as a Ronaldo-esque striker. He's got that big body. He's got that, you know, if he can put some muscle on a little bit, especially as he gets older, you know, I think he can be that kind of big-bodied striker. Not like a Lukaku, but like a Ronaldo, you know, like a physical yeah. presence he's in the box. Too. Right, exactly. So he just needs to figure that out. And if he wants to do that, you know, increase his kind of uh, hold-up play a little bit. I like Kai Havertz. I think he's got a lot of discovering to do. I've always had one thought about Timo Werner. And, I, you know, like I love German footballers, you know, more than most. You know that. I've always had one thought. And that one thought can be boiled down to one word. And that one word is overrated. Timo Werner has always been overrated. The only reason he was good as Leipzig is because Leipzig played through him. T- RB Leipzig played for Timo Werner, so Timo Werner did well. And yes, Timo Werner has had some good goals for Germany, but when you have as many good players as Germany has, of course you're going to get goals sometimes. Like, that's not because you're a good striker. You know, you think of, like, the great strikers of Germany, the Miroslav Kloses, the Thomas Mullers, right? They want to be out there. They are competing all the time. They are getting goals because of their work ethic. And I have always thought that Timo Werner is a lazy striker. He is a lazy striker. Yeah. He is a lazy striker, and he's got speed more than most strikers do, and it's kind of embarrassing that he's as lazy as he is. When when Chelsea bought him, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought, unless Chelsea's ready to play through Timo Werner in the top and be I like Timo... I didn't get that transfer at all. Right. You have you have two good... Stri- I mean, what what is what does Timo Werner give you that Tammy Abraham doesn't, honestly? Tammy Abraham like, is good. He's 22 right. years old. He showed a lot of, a lot, a lot of, like, just 
progress. Like he, he started really contributing to the team instead of just kind of being a young guy that would do stuff here and there. Like I, I think he's so worth investing in as a starter. And then you don't have to spend this money on a guy who doesn't want to be there. Like exactly. Timo Werner is, is clearly very, very skilled. He's he's got a lot of good pace on him. He's he's not a bad striker by any means. But but I think your overrated comment is is spot on, and perhaps too just because it so doesn't evoke a German soccer player, let alone a German striker. His his laziness feels like even more pronounced. Like it's almost like double lazy because. That's not how German strikers play. Like Miroslav Klose was a brilliantly skilled player, but he also was down to do the dirty work and go poach on some goals because that's good. What's going to get you the win? And like Timo Werner doesn't seem, and, and he's young, he's got time, but I, he's not a guy that he's a he's a typical Chelsea transfer though, in my opinion, where he's he's a guy that like people are like oh this guy could be really good and he does have talent, but he's not ready to put the work in. Right. And like, can we just say something I, like, I know that like in, in technicality, he's young, but like, let's talk soccer, right? Alfonso Davies is 19 years old. He's young. Timo Werner is 24. That's not young. That is in, that is starting to get in your prime. You know, that is when you should figure out what your style is, what you have over the other opponents. And other than he gets the ball a lot, I don't know what his what his advantage is because he's fast, but not faster than all strikers. He's strong, but not stronger than all strikers, you know, and he's got a good shot, but not a better shot than all strikers. So, like, tell me what what he gives you that you'd want more than, for example, why didn't Chelsea just spend, I don't know, 10, 11 million and go get Danny Ings for a season? I mean, honestly, like that is 30 million less that you have to spend. And I guarantee you get more production. We've already seen it from Danny Yanks this season. So like, I, I don't know what they were trying to do, you know, like Kai Havertz makes sense. You know, you want to kind of have a player to play around, but why get both of them? I have absolutely no idea. And I think this is, like you said, just a typical bad Chelsea transfer. They need to stop. They really need to stop doing this. They just buy, buy, buy. Like they, they like. I don't know how many times I've heard it as a Manchester United fan. We're like, would you see what Chelsea did in the transfer window and blah, 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 this and that and that. And like, I always just want to be like, Chelsea knows that only 11 players get to play or get to start and, and 14 players play in a game, right? Like you don't, I don't care if you have 40 really good players. If you don't have a strong 11 to 20, then it doesn't matter. Like all these guys can't contribute. Like it's just it's numerically impossible to have that many people get playing time. So right. like because like now Tammy Abraham isn't gonna get playing time, and Tammy Abraham is still. I mean, he's twenty two. He's still kind of a young dude himself. Like that can knock your confidence a little bit. And now maybe he's not the striker that you saw him kind of flash at Bean last year. But we'll see. Oh, yeah. For Chelsea, um, they uh, they obviously. God, I mean, they're young guys, and losing to Liverpool, the team who is, in many eyes, the favorite to win the Premier League, isn't the worst thing in the world. Another London club, of course, took down my Manchester United. Crystal Palace is another one of the teams with two wins out of two. It was a real easy victory over Man U. Uh, Wilfred Zaha continued his tear against the Red Devils, his old team. United just looked flat, uninspired. I, I think more than ever, it's clear that the need for more players uh, I liked Donny Van Beek. He had a nice little goal. He was ready to play. 
I don't know if that's where I would have invested the money. Like, if we're not going to invest money all over the place and we're and we're picking here and there for what transfers we're going to do, I'm not sure that's the one I would have made a priority. I think center back, we clearly need help defensively. We we need wingers. If not Jaden Sancho, maybe Adama Traore, uh, somebody that can come help out um, because it's just not there right now with Man U. And, you know, we, we talked about it last year. Once you got out of that, that starting 11 for them, it, their, their performance dipped quite, quite considerably. Uh, another, another London team, Arsenal have won a couple of London derbies to st- start the season 2-0 with 3-0 win over Fulham and a 2-0 win, 2-1 win, pardon me, over West Ham. You know, I, I love their addition of Willian. He was a catalyst for Chelsea the last few years. He, he brings a lot of stability to that front line with Alexander Lacazette, the uh, Bukayo Saka, of course, the man who I think is probably the favorite for the Golden Boot, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. They got a solid battle against Leicester today. Probably their toughest competition of the year so far, so we'll see how they do there. But Arsenal off to a good start. Leicester, meanwhile, haven't really been tested, but they grabbed victories against Burnley and West Brom to start the season. Two penalty kick goals for Jamie Vardy in the West Brom match. You know, it's a good start for them this season. You know, after last year's collapse, I mean, that was that was a big-time collapse where they were performing poorly not only against good teams, but teams like Burnley and West Brom. They may, maybe not losing, but dropping points with ties. And and that's what, you know, allowed Man U and Chelsea to catch them and and then finish fifth. But they are in the Europa League. They did finish fifth. This is the second best finish for Leicester ever. They're in a European competition for only the second time as they've been a Premier League contender or as a Premier yeah, – pardon me, a Premier League member. Yannick, do you see Leicester being a contender in the Europa League this year? Yeah, I think so. I think they just have a good rounded team. And the obviously the Europa League is hard because like you do have teams in there who, you know, just happen to do well and have a good history of it. And Leicester's not one of those teams. So it's hard to say. But I think Leicester has a good rounded team to keep them consistent, you know, through, you know, through a tough tournament. So I, I definitely consider them. I, I mean, I would be surprised if they don't make the quarters. You know, that's where kind of I'm seeing them. Everything after that will be good. But, you know, I see them getting to the quarters. and It'll be interesting. <clears throat> if I'm Leicester City, and this is kind of going back to the Chelsea thing, you know, mid-season, mid, mid-season transfer window, Matt, I go say, hey, Tammy Abraham, let's go. You know, Chelsea doesn't want you. Tammy Abraham, come I to Leicester. Be next to Jamie Vardy. We'll use you all the time. And... Talk about another just classic Chelsea move of losing a really good player who ends up being a dominant force on another team. You know, yeah, that's another Chelsea thing. So that's something that I'm kind of Manchester City goes and buys and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or like Bayern gets and is the greatest player of all time, helps them win a Champions League, all that stuff. You know, and, always and goes, I just always don't, goes back to Bayern. Always goes. I mean, Aaron Robin. What are you going to talk about? Aaron Robin was an unused piece on Chelsea. Let's just talk about it. Real buy quick. too many players. Yeah, they buy true. too many players. Yeah, it is true. true. Kevin De Bruyne, you know, like all, like you said. But like, right. you know, it, it, I, I do think Leicester, I love how they've started because they, Leicester is not a traditional team. Like, yes, we've known Leicester for the last, you know, six years because of their unlikely win. But Leicester is not like this classic team that we're like, oh, I can't believe they go down. They, they very much are like, okay, are we going to be a team that, that competes? Fifth, that fifth place finish was the second best finish ever. Like that, right. like. Exactly, exactly. And so like 
for them to come out and say, no, we're still a team that competes. You know, we might not be the champ- Premier League champions, right? But we are here to compete for Champions League spots. I love it. I love Jamie Vardy so much. I can't think of a more favorite striker I have. Um, he just comes out and plays, you know, and it just shows he is exactly the opposite of what Timo Werner has, right? Timo Werner might have more more skill than him, but Jamie, you would never know it. You would absolutely never know it with how Jamie Vardy plays. And I, and I just, you know, if you're a young soccer player out there, you're not trying to play like Timo Werner. You're trying to play like Jamie Vardy. And that's just like the truth. And so I, yeah, I just really appreciate it. And I, I agree about Arsenal as well. I just want to throw that in there. I think they've started well. I told you at the beginning of the season, they were my pick to maybe go a little farther than, you know, most people expected them to. I think Aubameyang's just absolutely on a tear right now. I think, you know, uh, he, can't Laka, he can't be stopped. I he's, think Laka's he's, he's the best striker in the world right now. Right. Absolutely. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Lacazette's looking better. If Lacazette, if Alexander Lacazette can get to the level that we know he can, that he has in the past, Arsenal's not going to be easy. Like, not going to be, you're not going to beat Arsenal. I just don't know who. Who beats them? And I agree. William like lets a little bit off the pressure of it just playing through the middle, and that was a great you know little transfer that they got there. And of course, I think another that's a huge transfer. I, I think that's oh, yeah. such a massive transfer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And for both for both those teams, I think I think Chelsea and Chelsea had to do it because then they they had they got too, too stockpiled. But Chelsea now doesn't have that kind of veteran to, to help a guy like Kai Havertz and and to learn the Premier League a little better. While now. Lacazette and, and Obama. I mean, those guys still have plenty to learn. And, and Saka, like, it, I think that is a massive, massive transfer. Right. And, like, also, I just want to, like, um, I just want to, like, say, like, you know, how, how, how much money did William cost? I, I don't know. I did they, nothing. like, yeah, he I was going to say, like, I, thought, I thought he was a he free cost transfer. Them nothing. He was a free transfer, and he's gonna play. He's gonna be a key figure for your team. I mean, that's just a, yeah. you know, just a great move. And I it reminds I, me I, of the Modic to the Modic to Man U deal a few years ago. Right, right, exactly. We had to pay and for that one. Sh- but we're shitting on Chelsea, but it's just true. They need to pick it up. They're not good. They're not good in the transfer right. window. They just aren't. Right, that's just true. And you wonder when it's gonna stop, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to. Um, but yeah, exciting stuff in the Premier League. I was wrong. I said Liverpool doesn't look strong, and they came out and they proved me wrong. That was absolutely something they did. I think Thiago was such a good signing for them. You know, I don't think Bayern is like worse off in that transfer per se, but I do think Liverpool has like gained a lot of you know stuff. Like I just think Agreed. Liverpool for for me, Thiago fits Liverpool's style of play better than he fit Bayern's because Bayern's was all about the front five. Right and like and like pressing, and then the midfielders have to be the stronger midfielders who can hold up the middle. And Thiago wasn't that. He was a great player, but he wasn't that. Liverpool's not that. Liverpool has this midfield that they love to create in and then feed the wide guys with the guy in the middle. He's perfect for that. I mean, he is perfect for that. And I yeah. think, I mean, I'm going to take back my take and I'm going to make a new one. I mean, with the way Tiago's looking, I think Liverpool win the Premier League again. I agree. I I go back and I agree with you, man. Like, I just think they look, I mean, Chelsea has their own problems, but I just don't see a team that can, you know, compete with a team that's even better than last year. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Liverpool looks dangerous and, and, you know, Leeds United goes and wins four, three against Fulham in their next game. So that, uh, 
You know, that, that loss doesn't look, or that law, that, that kind of tight game doesn't look as bad. It seems like Leeds United is going to have that kind of uh, high scoring affairs a lot this year. The other team that's 2-0, of course, Man City's still undefeated. They are 1-0. They haven't played their second match. I assume they will go to 2-0, but they're not there yet. So they don't get a, as much of a shout out. The last 2-0 team, Everton. How good is Everton? They won away at Spurs on the opening day, 1-0, and then blasted by West Brom for a 5-2 win. Calvert-Lewin with a hat trick. Hamas Rodriguez getting on the score sheet as well. Pretty active in the transfer market again this year. I mentioned Hamas, but they also spent money on Allen from Napoli, and they got Wat- Watford's Abdullah Ducore. Um, you know, I, this team, I think, should easily get a Europa League spot, but I don't, th- I don't think it's crazy to think that they could fight for a Champions League spot. They got a ton of talent. They got Carlo Ancelotti, a guy who who has been a manager and won at the highest level for many, many years. He's has, you know, he has a lot of ups and a lot of downs, but when his teams are good, they're very, very good. Everton has the talent. Do you think they got a chance to to sneak into the Champions League and the Premier League, Jan? I totally agree. Europa League is absolutely doable. I think that's got to be their goal this year. I don't think it has to be even their aspiration. It's got to be their goal this year with the amount of players that they got. James Rodriguez looks like a man reborn. That's what she wanted. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been a player that has been on the up and up for a little bit. He looks like that kind of Jamie Vardy-esque striker that we want him to be. So I think, I mean, and they still got Richarlison. I just, I they look so good. And got so a lot of good guys. They got a lot of good guys. I don't I being again, I hate to bring up Byron, but it's just where my perspective's from. Being <laughs> oh like my God. But here's what I'm saying. Any more of it's always just gonna go back to Byron. We're just gonna but here's have the to, thing. This is relevant. I have a relevant tie-in, all right? So Carlo Ancelotti was the coach of Byron, and I did not like him for that team. So my question is, how far can he take them? That is that is something that I'm a little worried about because I did not I really hated what he did over in Munich. However, I think you're absolutely right because here's the thing: you have Liverpool, right? They're number one. You have Man City. They're number two. After that, Arsenal's doing well. Man United hasn't proven anything. Chelsea has not proven anything. Tottenham has not proven anything, right? Who says that they can't beat any of those teams unless they pick it up, right? They've got a great they already, start. They already beat Tottenham at Tottenham. Like Exactly. Exactly. And like, you know, it's obviously different with the fan situation. You know, it's not the same thing. But like, you know, they've shown that they're in there. And like, I don't think they'll be like a third place team. But I think whoever the fourth Champions League qualifier is, they're going to have to watch out. I think everyone's going to be, right be on. Right. I mean, I wouldn't. Here's what I'll say. Man United, Chelsea have a lot of. A lot of stuff to make up. I would not be surprised if both Everton and Leicester finish above Man United and Chelsea. I would not be surprised. I would be like, like upsetting. Hey, really change your tune on Leicester. Yeah, I do. I, I just, but that's what right. it is, right? That's what it is. You, you expect them to play a certain way, and they come out here, and that's what I, that's what you want, Matt. You want to make a take about a team, and them to absolutely prove you wrong. That's what you want, and I'm glad that they did it because I love really? Leicester for that. Absolutely. So. I am here for Leicester and Everton. I am down on Man U and Chelsea especially. I think Man U will figure it out. They just obviously need another piece. Chelsea I, Chelsea seems to be headed in a completely wrong direction, which is what I'm worried yeah, about. Yeah, they just like, say like directionless, which I guess, you know, maybe Frank Lampard is the perfect manager for that since he played so many kind of directionless years as a player for Chelsea. <laughs> but right. yeah, I, don't, I mean, it, it seems like, 
it's it fe- seems like a very like FIFA video game strategy of like, all right, let's just get a bunch of talented players and then my team will be good because this is a video game and that's how it's done. But right, real life sports I mean, are, are different than video games. To be fair, Pulisic is still injured, so it'll be a different team when Pulisic comes in and is that focal point in the offense if Lampard. Of course, of course. So that is going to be something that we'll see how that affects it. But you and know, those both guys. These teams, I mean, those guys could gel quicker than we yeah, think. Yeah, they could gel. They could gel. And Timo Werner, I if you're listening to this, which I know you're not, and you don't speak English, but like that would be you so know, cool. If Timo Werner, if you're listening to this, prove me wrong. Prove me that you're not. I don't even say be the best striker in the world. Prove me that you're not lazy. Yeah. That's what I want. You know, it's the you're same thing with Joel and B. It's like, I'm not saying you have to be the best player in the league, but you are better than what you are giving, and it's all because of your effort, and that is embarrassing as a professional sports player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The Premier League is back. I think we both agree. Nice to hear you agree with me officially. Liverpool number one, City two. I mean, I think we both we both certainly agree that those are the two best teams. I'm willing to league. accept my mistakes. Hey, hey. It takes, it, it takes a big man t- to do that. Sometimes we have to do that. I'll have to do that later in, in the NBA section. The Nuggets, <laughs> Nuggets shut me up. Like, no, we're not getting swept. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, but, yeah, no, I think you and me think we're, those are the two top teams. And then I think, I think you know, outside looking in, I think United, Chelsea, Arsenal, I would put Arsenal with it, look like, look like the favorites for the, the other Champions League spots. But I think that margin of, of them being favorites is pretty – Thin over Leicester, Tottenham, and I think Everton. So it should be a fun year in the Premier League. We'll see what happens. Let's move on down to Italy, to Serie A. Even less action in Serie A, unfortunately, right now. But the season is back. 14 teams have made their debut. In the limited action, there has been one very big upset with Chievo Verona taking down Roma 3-0. Roma outshot them 21-8 to and had 61% possession. Pardon me, but they just couldn't finish. Verona was able to find the back of the net three times in, in those eight shots they had. It was just one of those days where, where Roma was the better team, but they couldn't find a goal, and, and Verona was able to make, make something happen more than once. Um, so that was a big upset. I, I think we still expect Roma to probably be the better team out of those two, but not the most inspiring starting match for Roma in the Serie A. You know, the question surrounding Serie A is – Quite frankly, can anyone dethrone Juventus? They beat Sampdoria 3-0 in their first match. And it does look like they will not be getting Luis Suarez. There were some rumors that maybe he'd be going to Atletico. Now that even looks shut down. They, I think they've just decided that they're going to upset everyone on their team that has led them to Champions League success. It's, it's an interesting strategy over there in Barcelona. I personally don't get it. But we're focused on Italy right now. Uh, you know, Juventus, quite frankly, they they want the Champions League more than anything. Ronaldo does not care about a Serie A crown. They've won nine straight. It's, it's an unprecedented streak. And I think maybe less than just Juventus wanting the Champions League more, maybe trying to kind of focus and keep their energy towards that competition, Serie A has gotten better. I mean, Inter has, has certainly gotten better. They have a, a very good team. They got second in the Europa League last year. Antonio Conte just fits that team well. All those guys get get another year of kind of playing together because even, you know, Lukaku and such, they haven't been there long. So I think that team's only going to get better. Atalanta, can, we'll see what they do. Can they qualify for Europe again? Milan opened with a 2-0 win. Zlatan scoring both goals. Who who had that? Zlatan getting two goals for Milan to open the 2020 Serie A. But 
I think Inter is, is the clear favorite to to challenge Juventus. I personally think Inter is going to get it done this year. We'll see what other teams do. Of course, Napoli, Lazio, mentioned Roma with their, with their struggle already. Jan, do you think anyone can beat Juventus? Um, and, and who do you see qualifying out of Serie A to the Champions League? Right, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as in the Bundesliga, right? Like, it's not that these teams aren't getting better, right? Like, Dortmund is a lot better with Erling Haaland than they were before they got him. So, like, that's something to be said, right? But it's just that that's how big the gap has been between Juventus and the rest of Syria, you know? And so, like, I I think Inter has now has the pieces to be able to challenge them. I don't think they were able to challenge them you know, because they weren't getting the results and they didn't have the team chemistry that they needed. I think, but that's that's where I think it ends. I think Inter is the only team that challenges them. I think Napoli, you know, was so up and down last season. They haven't made any market improvements to make me believe that they can get the job done against the small teams as much as they can against the big teams. You know, I think Lazio's a fine team, but let's be honest, it's Chiro Immobile center and that's it. Like they have Luis Alberto and Chiro Immobile, and that's great, but you're not playing basketball where you need two two players. You know, you you need a lot of players, and that's not what they have. You know, so I think they're they're another Champions League contender, but I don't think they challenge. You know, and Atalanta is great, but they're not going to be what they were because it was such a historic season. So, you know, I think Inter is the only team that contests them. You know, we'd love to see Inter contest them. I don't think they do it. This I just. You know, the fact that they made all these changes and they're just now ready to contest them, that just tells me that they still won't, you know, like I, it, it, it's, inter- it's going to be an interesting battle, but I think Juventus is just till too good. You know, they don't get Luis Suarez, but I don't think they needed him in the first place. Uh, and I think you, you're right. Juventus just it, is focused on the Champions League. You know, can they get it done against the best in Europe outside of Italy? Uh, but I think Champions League spot wise, Inter is definitely the top out of the rest. You know, it, can Chiro Mobile repeat what he did last year? Maybe. If so, then Lazio's a contender. I really like AC Milan. I think AC Milan has had, like, a lot of bad luck in terms of results sometimes in the Serie A, but they've got the pieces there. They've had those transfers that happened a couple years ago kind of pull into motions. Laton is playing well still somehow. So, like, I think that they look good, and I'm excited to see what they can do. So, for me, Champions League contenders, I'm going to say Juventus, Inter, Lazio and AC Milan. I like it. I like it. I think I, I think you're spot on. I I, I agree. I I have my only change probably would I think I have AC Milan third, Lazio fourth. I think I, I mean this has been said a, a decent amount about AC Milan over the last decade or so. You know, in in their last decade of struggling after being for a few years the premier club in Europe. Quite frankly that like people are always like all right this is the year that like ac milan's kind of finally kind of bring it back but i i think it is this time you know i think having a guy like zlatan there those kind of talismans those kind of veteran veterans that have had that success um and and certainly he knows syria better than i mean the guy the guy's played in, in virtually every league but there's no league he knows better than syria played for juve played for inter this is his, his second stint with ac milan so he knows this league inside and out and I, I see a real, a big, a big bounce back for AC Milan, and I'm excited to see that. I'd love to see if they could even kind of compete with with Inter and, and Juve, but I agree with you. I think they just don't have quite the talent, quite the the uh, unity that those two teams have together. I mean, a lot of that Juve team's been together for a long time, and Inter clearly has some good camaraderie as they 
all start playing together more and more. Right, exactly. And also you have to make you have to think about, right? Ronaldo thrives under pressure. Like that's he thrives under pressure. So imagine Juventus is in a title race, you're basically only remaking Cristiano Ronaldo's want it more. And that's not good. You if don't want Cristiano. <laughs> if you're Juventus though this year, like say you're Oh gosh. Let's say you're four four points out with like five matches to go and you're also in the second leg of a quarterfinal Champions League, do you? Where do you think they put priority? Do you think they put priority in, in chasing down the Syria, or maybe even maybe they're up by a slim margin in Syria, and and do you think they choose to try and defend that points, or do you think they would put the priority in the Champions League competition? I mean, uh, that's hard because, like, I think of the players that I would sit for Juventus and, like, the way Ronaldo's playing right now, you know, you can play him for 60 minutes because all he does is wait for the ball. You know, he's not, like, the focal point who's, like, exhausting himself every game. So I don't necessarily think that that's, like, a like an upset you have to make. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, if a quarterfinals, you know, they're 1-1 going into quarterfinals and really need to win because of away goals, yeah, you're going to focus on. And you've got a game with Inter, let's say, right at the same time. Yeah, I think you focus on the Champions League. It's the same thing with Bayern, you know, like they they have the same question all the <laughs> of time. Of course it is, Yannick. It freaking is. They're the same team oh in different God. countries. I don't know what you want from me. I don't well, know Syria, what you want from me. Serie A is a better league. No, but like, I mean, I think Liverpool last year, I think when if they didn't quite encounter it, but, you know, sort of. Yeah, nah, because they were running away with it. But I think but I think if Liverpool would have encountered that scenario, I think Liverpool last year would have been like, no, we want the league title. Um, right, exactly. Now, That's of course, there's a lot different. of, there, now there's a lot of different kind of like factors in the sense of they hadn't won the league title in several decades and they were the defending Champions League. So it was like, we had just won this, but yeah, right. I, mean, I, think, I have- think it is, I think it is a question for these, these top clubs at times. And sometimes they're like, oh, we, we want to win our league title, but Juventus has won it nine times. So I'm like, how can you, I, 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 I would imagine that all those Juventus players would be like, I don't care if we get 12th in Serie A if we can win the Champions League. Right. I mean, you know, it, it becomes, yeah, I don't know. It, I think unless you're like a really bad team, like, you know, how some leagues have it where you can tank for a player, you know, these players are competitive. So like, I don't necessarily see the coach being like, yeah, we're going to sit everybody. If it was like, do we want to win the Copa Italia? No, that's not, the- that's not, well, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying in the sense of like what they value. Right. I would, no, assume, no. I would assume it would be the champion. Not now. I'm not saying like they're going to be like, we're going to not win this. No, I just yeah, mean, no, I mean, like the player's personality. The, yeah, of course they play. They favor the Champions League more for sure. Um, but you know, it's all going to depend on who, you know. By the time that they are, uh that's a sad goal for for Leicester to concede there. Um, Especially again, like Juventus is their club history in the Champions League. Like they're one of the most heartbreaking histories. In, in the right, Champions but, League. Right, but it's all, you know, by the time that they have to like, oh, we have four games left and we're four points behind, at that point, they're going to know, you know, it's it's going to, either the Champions League, they're going to be in like the, you, like you said, the end of the quarterfinals, or, you know, they're going to be out of it already. So I think that's going to depend on that too. Like, do they even have a chance? You know, for well, me, of course. Juventus. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a massive hypothetical. Right, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, of course, it's just like Bayern. 
It's just like Bayern. Just get to the Bundesliga so you can talk to Bayern about but Bayern. Let me, no, no, no. I, don't, I really don't appreciate oh this God. because it is – name me another team that is like Juventus that is more well, like – if you Juventus hadn't made Bayern. Bayern the connection to everything else already, then maybe I wouldn't be so uh, – <laughs> No, name me another team. What's name me word? another team. If you're going to talk, name me another I wasn't, team. I wasn't even answering. Wait, I didn't hear your question. I was telling you why. Name, I, me, a, name me a better team to make this make this connection to because it can't be it can't be PSG because they don't even have any kind of resilience. They don't have anybody competing them. It's not like they win every time and like they have I don't even want to answer this end. question because it's just giving more Bayern talk and I don't want to let you. No, I'm just saying if you're going to get – if you're going to talk to me about that, name me another No, I'm just going to give you crap. I'm not going to – I'm just going to give you crap for – I mean, All right. Well, if, if it was the first time that you had brought up Byron in this episode as a uh, connective or, you know, being like, it's just like that, then then I probably wouldn't give you crap. But so far, I think you're I think you're hitting every. I mean, I am hitting the topic on the outline. I, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti was a former coach. That's I'll get I you another. About. I'll get you another a list of just like other team, other teams, Yannick. Okay. All why right. Don't we well, get over do the, why don't we get over to the Bundesliga so you can talk about Bayern? I you will do Bayern that as much as you want now. I will absolutely. You better let me. So the Bundesliga is in week two now, coming up this weekend. But they did have week one action. Bayern Munich beating Schalke 0 8-0, hat-trick for Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané pulling the strings already. But really, this, the, I think the story of this game is Schalke needs to fire their coach and get their shit together. I mean, they're becoming a farm team for other teams to just get good talent from. Weston McKinney going to Juventus, you know, Mesut Ozil, Manuel Neuer, the list goes on and on of, of young players who have been really good at Schalke and then left. So they really need to figure their stuff out because they shouldn't be such a farm team and be this bad. You know, I get it. Like, but Dortmund used to be that too, and they moved out of it, and Schalke has to move out of it too. Because at this point, the Dortmund-Schalke rivalry is not a rivalry. It's like it's a game that Dortmund's going to win. So they need to figure their stuff out there. They played terribly, let Bayern run all over them, and they didn't even play Bayern like the teams should play Bayern, which is you know against that press. But we had some other exciting games in the Bundesliga. Hoffenheim beating Cone 3-2. Andre Komaric, you know, picking up where he left off, hitting a hat trick, helping Hoffenheim beat Cone. His last goal coming in at a time to grab the win for TSG. And you had Freiburg being Stuttgart also 3-2. Freiburg were up 3-0, but Stuttgart showed fight and made it close. You know, promoted this year after being relegated two years ago. You know, I think it was a good sign. Uh, here's a fact for you, Matt. Their second scorer, his name is Silas Wamangituka. I love that name so much. I needed to say it out loud. Silas Wamangituka. We love it. We love it. We love it. And finally, Werder Bremen and Hertha BSA played. Now, Hertha BSA looking really promising towards the end. People thought maybe they can qualify for the Europa League even. They did not. Werder Bremen having an uninspired relegation playoff to stay in the Bundesliga. Hertha beat them 4-1, to one, both teams picking up where they left off. Hertha had goals by Cunha, Luka Bacchio, Pekarik, and Cordoba. You know, four great players, all their top scores kind of picking up where they left off. Bremen had a single goal from Davy Selka, who's the young talent that is getting older that needs to either, you know, put up or shut up a little bit. Bremen's going to get relegated this year. They almost deserve to get relegated last year. They need to figure it out. They need to fire their coach. They need to do something because they are looking so uninspired for a historically good German team. And finally... The top game of the weekend, Borussia Dortmund against rivals Borussia Mönchengladbach, but it did not look like a rivalry game. Dortmund beat their rivals 3-0. to Erling Haaland, again, kind of showing what he did last season, picking up a brace. And an opener by U.S. youngster Giovanni Reina, 
good for the yeah. little guy. Yes. And they have shown that they are ready to challenge Bayern now. You know, it was a good win against a good team. Obviously, Gladbach had a couple of their players that were coming off injury. So that does do something. It's the first game for sure. But they are they show that they're not, you know, they're not going to be swept aside, even though Bayern, you know, beat Schalke so so heavily. So it's going to be an interesting race. I think it's really between the two of them. Leipzig without Werner, you know, I think it becomes a hard task for them. They're going to be a decent team, but not like the powerhouse we expect them to be. And I think Gladbach, you know, maybe they figure it out, but this first game wasn't promising. So I definitely think it's a two-legged race, as per usual, in the Bundesliga, and both teams grabbing shutout wins. In La Liga, we've had two weeks of play now, although not all teams have played or have equal games. But right now, we have two interesting teams at the top. We have Granada and Real Betis tied for the lead with two wins in their first two games. Some top games from week two. Villarreal grabbing a 2-1 win over a bar. Goals from Paco Alcacer and Gerard Moreno win it for one of my favorite nicknames in Spanish club club uh, selection is the Yellow Submarines. Really love that. And Villarreal sits in third. Celta Vigo grabbing a 2-1 win over Valencia. You know, two teams who really want to make the next step this season. They look good at the end of the season. Can they keep it going? Celta get a brace from Iago Aspas to win it. Celta's in fourth. Valencia's in fifth. It's a battle to look for later on in those Europa League places for sure. And finally, Real Madrid did have their first game, but it was a disappointing draw against Real Sociedad. You know, and it was a goalless draw, let alone it was a 0-0 draw. And with how close La Liga can get between Barcelona and Real Madrid, and actually Atleti basically has Luis Suarez right now. He's already said goodbye to Barcelona. It looks like he's going there. You know, Atleti looks more and more dangerous as well. It's a disappointing start. You know, you want to get all the wins that you can get against teams that you should be beating. And we know that from how Barcelona ended the season. So, lots of action. Obviously, two weeks in, it's hard to tell anything, especially with the teams at the top. Some games coming up next week. Real Betis against Real Madrid. You know, can Madrid gab a win against a top team so far? Cadiz, the newly uh, promoted team, can they play well against the Europa League champion Sevilla? Atleti, can they beat the league leaders right now in Granada? And Barcelona make their league debut against a dangerous Villarreal side. Who do you see winning La Liga this year, buddy? After all the turmoil with Barcelona, after Real Madrid having a disappointing exit in the Champions League. I think we've said this before. Do you still believe it's Atletico? And how much does Suarez, his signing, help that? Yeah, I I still do go um, with Atletico. I think, you know, I think for the La Liga... Every year, you kind of you kind of start the season with with two questions of, of how it's going to play out. One, can Atletico challenge Barcelona and Real Madrid? Two, can anyone else challenge the top three? And for some reason, it feels like a year where where both of those the answers to both those questions is yes. Um, I like as I've said before, I think Atletico is going to win. I just think there's just a lot of, of, of turnover right now with Real Madrid. You know, they they've had. I would argue the most impressive run in modern soccer history when they won four Champions League finals in five. I mean, I, th- I think that's more impressive than when they started the Champions League and they've won the first five. Um, and now this team, you know, they, they have a lot of great players from those years, but a lot of those guys are, are nearing their final years. They remind me right now a lot of Bayern when they had like that initial success in the early 2010s and then some of those guys kind of started getting older. They had to start bringing in new guys and things didn't quite click at first. And now last year we saw what happened when it did, when, when the young guys like Coman and Gnabry can, can help. And, and Alfonso Davies, you know, not only help, but be integral to, to the success of the team. So if Real Madrid's youth 
can step up while, while the older guys like Luka Modric, um, Kareem Benzema, Sergio Ramos, Tony Cruz is, is 30, but you know, getting older. So, you know, if those young Marcello, you know, if the young guys can step up with all of the, the veterans they have, I mean, this team really could compete for the champions league, but I just, I'm not sure that they can. And Barcelona is just so crazy right now. I, like they, now they're getting into stuff with Suarez, whether he leaves or not. We know the whole messy debacle. They 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 just seem to be in, in such a, a bad place that I think Atletico's stability, uh, you know, the fact that they, they've got a team that has been together for a while, a team that as always with Atletico, they just they just know each other, they know how they're gonna play, they know their manager, they they know what the goal is. So I think that stability is really gonna help them. And I think that the chaos of of what's going on with Real and Barca and such is, is also going to open the doors for someone like Valencia or Sevilla to, to maybe make a run at, at the top three. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's about time that one of those two teams doesn't win. And this does look like a season that it might happen. And especially if they sign Luis Suarez, that's only going to make them stronger. I mean, can you imagine him and Joao Felix playing next to each other? That's a hard line to want to defend against, you know, especially with absolutely. the experience and the young talent. So I hope that they win. I hope Atletico gets the win. You know, it's, it's about time that someone breaks those top two. I also want to say uh, really quick. You brought up Bayern in a non-Bayern situation, so all of a sudden everything you've said has become completely irrelevant, and I feel very validated. I just want to say that real quick. <laughs> you guys, this kid needs to get another team. I'm telling you. Hey, you know what? I have a question, though. Like, in all honesty, uh, do you think Dortmund can, you know, we talked about can Juventus be dethroned? Can Bayern be dethroned by Dortmund? I mean, they look no. good in their first game. Okay. <laughs> no, they can't. I, I did love how you're like, it would be nice to see someone dethrone Real Madrid and Barcelona as if the Bundesliga hasn't been just run by right. one team for almost a decade. The Bund- okay, but here's the if thing. They didn't, if they didn't have such exciting soccer, it would be the most boring league. But they do have exciting yeah. soccer. The, the most boring le- Think about the other leagues. that we, The most boring league. The most yeah, maybe, maybe league earn would still be the cool. most. Yeah, thank you. I mean, but PSG's, PSG's been challenged more than Byron has been the last few years. Oh, barely. Come on, PSG's. I mean, the, maybe PSG the last hasn't couple won eight straight. Yeah, that's fair. But PSG oh. also has won ever since they got their cash influx, so it's a little different. You know, they were not the historical. It's a, ca- it's a cash game. I mean, no, that's the teams that are historically good are historically good, uh, good now because they were good historically, so they got rich. Like. It's all about money. It's not like any. It's not like any soccer club that's at the top of the the world is doing it because they're cutting corners and figuring out how to like moneyball this situation. Like all of them are just cash cows. True, true, true. I mean, yeah, and it's actually it's interesting. I I thought when's the last time a team that wasn't Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, that has won the the La Liga? It's actually twenty fourteen. Yeah, more recent than I thought. So I take that back. I mean, more recent. And also, I want to say Kai Havertz has scored a hat trick in their League Cup game against Barnsley. So we're absolutely spot on about that being possibly a better signing. But lots of exciting things going across the League of Soccer. We shall see how the new league picks up. But very exciting. And like, we'll we'll be watching our teams all season like we usually do. Hopefully, I have more time on Bayern. We'll keep an eye on Byron. Hopefully Matt has a little more to brag about in the later days. All right, moving on from soccer, we've got another Grand Slam to talk about. Kind of crazy considering the U.S. Open just ended. 
but we do have another Grand Slam. It is Roland Garros, or the French Open. It's going to be very exciting. Lots of different, you know, news going on around this tournament, especially in terms of the players that will not be in there. Bianca Andreescu will not play. No, Naomi Osaka will not play. Ashley Barty will not play. So is this Serena Williams' best chance to tie Margaret Court's record of 24 singles? One. I mean, look at the players that are out. It kind of does seem like it, you know? And on the other side, on the men's side, Rafa Nadal has his eyes on his 13th French Open win. He is the absolute king of the clay court and he has the chance to tie the male record for single titles which is 20 which is currently held by his aging counterpart roger federer so it could be a good tournament for him as well but let's kind of go a little more deeper into the details on the women's side we talked about serena williams we talked about osaka and ashley barty the number one obviously and bianca andreescu a young talent not being able to play but serena williams still is not the favorite you have simona halep being the favorite after her Italian Open win this last week. You also have Kiki Burton's in there. Gabrine Mugarosa have good odds. You know, Halep won the tournament in 2018. And Serena Williams, while she has a lot of, you know, opponents that are not in this game that could beat her, the French Open is her worst Grand Slam tournament. She had a fourth-round exit in 2018 and a third-round exit in 2019. You know, she's the sixth seed, so her and Halep could meet earlier on, depending on the draw. So that might not help her chances at all. You also have some other young talents coming up. Marketa Vondrusova had a good Italian Open, could make strides at Roland Garros. Youngster Sofia Kennan looks good for the U.S. Alina Svelina looks good at, from the Ukraine. Also, Karolina Pliskova, you know, can she push through? You know, she kind of injured there at the end of the Italian Open. But can she push through at the French Open? We shall see. What do you think? Do you think Serena has a chance? Or do you think this is Hollops to lose? I mean, I th- I I think probably both could could necessarily be true, right? I I do think it's Hollips to lose. You know, she's made two of the last three, won won the tournament in in twenty eighteen. She's probably been the be- the best uh, women's tennis player over the last few years, you know. But she has only one French Open, so it's not like you know, it's not like she has dominated this this tournament by any means and hasn't played a ton this year. Which we'll see if that affects her at all. You know, I think Serena has a chance, but it's just it's just so hard to get your hopes up. You know, I I think probably more so. I'm excited to see what um, Victoria Azarenka does. Uh, she's the 11th seed in this one after being unseated in the U.S. Open and making it to the final. It's great to see her back. Great uh, back in the you know the major tournaments and just back in in tennis. But I also think Sophia Kinnan and I think Kiki Burton's the the four and the five seed Kinnan, of course. The, the new kind of young American on the block. I think both of them have a really good shot uh, of winning this tournament. Um, her, her best performance at the fr- – Kennan's best performance at the French Open is, is only the, the fourth round, while Burton's has gotten to the semifinals. She did that back in 2016. So I think they both have a really good shot, but I am picking Halep. I, I think she just performs here well in France, and I, and I think the layoff is just going to make – help her come back with, with a little bit more firepower than, than she might normally have. I mean, she's 28. It's not like the layoff's going to be like, oh, I've you know, got to warm up again. Like she's in, she's in the prime of her career, and I, and I think she takes it home. 
I yeah, it's hard to bet against Simona Halep. I definitely think she's the favorite, and you know she has that experience in the later rounds of the French Open on the clay court, which does exhaust you a little longer than some of the other courts. So I think that's definitely in her favor. But Matt, hot take alert! Hot take alert! I am taking, not only do I think Serena Williams needs to win this tournament because everyone's out and it's her best chance, Serena Williams wins the 2020 French Open and retires immediately after. That is my take. That is my take. I don't think she'll want to break the record. I think she wants to draw it and retire. I, I can see it already. So that is my hot take. Serena Williams wins the French Open. Double hot take. With one leg. With one leg, she wins the French Open and retires immediately after. I hope it for her, you know, and uh, we shall see. Though Halep's definitely the favorite. I don't want to see her retire yet. I know, me neither, but I would love to see her, you know, get that. I want her to play in one more U.S. Open where I can be in the audience. Right. I mean, and I'm sure she does too. That's probably the worst. That's probably the worser take of the two that she retires more than she wins. But you but never I like know. It. I like. I like, I like the double downing on, right. on on all of it. <laughs> double downing. Double downing. I also this is this is kind of like a hot take I had in last year's NFL playoffs where I said Tom Brady was going to like rip through the playoffs and then retire immediately after, but that obviously did not happen. Yeah. So we shall see if I'm a little more right. On so, this one. So Serena Williams will be playing for the Bucks next year. I don't. All right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. They're signing uh, everyone else, so might, as, might well. as well. Serena Williams would make a great tight end. I don't know what you're no, talking about. Serena Williams, <laughs> she's just an overall athlete. Put her anywhere on the field. She's impacting the game. Right. Light people up on defense too. All right. Let's talk about the men's side. It's a little more clear cut. The top three, pretty easy. You have Rafa Nadal, the king of the clay, Novak Djokovic, and Dominic Team, who just won his first Grand Slam, obviously, a couple weeks ago. A couple questions here. Can Rafa obviously equal the record? That's the big one. You know, he's got a couple injuries. He's playing in less uh, Grand Slams because of his age. You know, can the Joker rebuild his reputation since we had that last conversation about what this meant for his reputation. He's had two further personal discipline incidents happen where he's been yelling at refs, where he's been getting crazy on the sidelines. And, you know, he's he's got a bad he's ruining his reputation uh, tournament by tournament. You know, he had that infamous U.S. Open exit, obviously. You know, can he win this tournament in a, in a good fashion so that he can kind of get back on track? And can Dominic Team beat the King of Clay after his first Grand Slam win? You know, he he finally broke through. He was kind of in the mix always. He finally broke through. That means good things for him. Uh, and we'll see if he can do that. Some notable people that are not in the tournament. Roger Federer is out for the rest of 2020 because of a knee injury. And Kyrgios, the famous Australian, you know, powerhouse, is also out. Another question you can ask, Andy Murray, coming back kind of in his first big appearance, can he improve on his second round performance at the U.S. Open? You know, he had that big comeback in the first round, didn't make too much noise. Can he make more noise in this tournament? And finally, you have two youngsters that I think are in the mix. Stefanos Tsitsipas, can he kind of break through like team has broken through? And U.S. Open finalist Alexander Zverev, can he you know, get a little revenge from that last one, make it to the finals again, perhaps, but on a completely different course. Who do you see winning this one? Do you think anyone can upset the king of clay? Uh, no. It, he like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone be so, so dominant. It like in one specific, like it, it, like, it would be like if, 
I mean, I guess you sometimes would see it like a basketball player, like, you know, they come to Madison Square Garden, they're in the Mecca or what have you, and, like, they might score a little bit more. They might go off a little bit more. But, like, that, this is unmatched, just the the dominance that Rafa has had at the French Open. Like, he just he's – on, he's on three straight right now. Uh, overall, I can't remember exactly how many – how many does he – 12, I think? 13. It, 13. Oh, yes. No, you're right. You're right. He has 12. He has 12. Okay. Has 12. Yeah. That's right. Going for the 13th. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just so dominant. Djokovic, both times that he won in 2015 and 16, I believe, once, you know, Nadal got knocked out, had to withdraw in like the third round. Then the other one, he got knocked out in the quarterfinals. But when Djokovic just met him in the final, you know, Rafa has has his number. And Rafa has met team in the last two finals and beat him both times, of course. But I I wonder if team is able, you know, he's he's got the confidence from that US Open win. He's got his first Grand Slam title. Does that help push him over the edge and, and get him to the final and, and get him a little more confidence against Nadal? I think it probably does, but I think it still doesn't matter. And I, and I think Rafa, I mean, this is just his competition. And and picking anyone but Rafael Nadal in the French Open is just kind of a foolish thing to do. I agree. I mean, you think about it. Can you imagine a situation where talking about Dominic Team in one, one one month wins his first Grand Slam tournament and then beats the King of Clay at his own turn? I mean, that is historical. That would that would really vaunt him as like the number one player right now if that could happen. But I do agree, it's a fool's errand to vote against Rafa Nadal in the French Open. Here's something, right? Rafa's known as the King of Clay. Roger Federer known as the King of the Grass Court. Roger Federer has won eight Wimbledon's and he's the King of the Grass Court right? That's four less Grand Slams than, than Nadal's one. And the lowest uh, Grand Slam victories that Federer, who's right now, right now, considered the greatest tennis player of all time behind maybe one player from the past, right? The worst tournament that he has, the French Open, where he's won a grand total of once. Once he's won the French Open. So it's just, it's Rafa Nadal's tournament to lose. And until he shows me that he can without an injury. I agree. I think it's Rafa's Rafa's night. You know, I hope to see some of those young players make some strides. I don't think Djokovic's head is on straight, you know, and so I think that like that's going to be a big thing, you know, cuz tennis is a mental game. You know, if if you if you are getting crazy like that, it's going to it's going to show badly in your performance and if you're playing Rafa Nadal in the final and you're starting to lose your cool, it's done. It's done before it starts. So I don't I think, think that affects a guy like Novak Djokovic. I mean, perhaps, I think he's too good. But it affected it affected him in the game that he got disqualified. He lost that first set. Well, I mean, okay, I mean, I mean, he lost that first. Yes, set. and you're right in that in that sense because he got mad and he knocked somebody in a tennis with a tennis ball. It affected his game. But I I mean, in the sense of like actually playing, I did, I think he's too good to to be like mentally affected that way personally i i just don't i just don't think i just don't think that's what's i mean i i'm not picking novak to win obviously i think rafa's better but i don't think rafa's gonna beat novak because novak is mentally not like ready to take him on you know no I think, for sure i just I think rafa's know. i just think rafa's better on clay mostly yeah it's kind of crazy how good he's on clay and it's gonna be exciting absurd. to watch He's absurd. He's absurd. Qualifiers going on right now. Tournament officially begins on Sunday, and we shall follow that for all to see.